I am thankful that he went to the tomb. But I'm also thankful he's no longer there. Amen. Amen. He is alive. I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping the Lord in song, I, I talked to a preacher recently that went and uh, preached in an underground church in China and there's actually a Bible college in China. And the way they have to do it, they have an apartment and uh, they have um, a room, just it's a two-bedroom apartment, but in it they have made a boy's dorm, they made a girl's dorm, they have 10 boys on one side laying in mattress. You have one laying uh, north to south. You've got another one laying south to north. And just uh, that's the way they lay them across the room. And same thing on the girls that's there. And uh, they get up and pray every morning at 5 o'clock. They can't lift their voice and pray like we do. But he said he watched them in that early morning prayer meeting. They'd sit there and just weep and cry and just pray earnestly, never able to raise their voice, never able to talk above a whisper. When they would um, come together for, for Bible uh, study and they would teach from the Word of God, they couldn't get excited and clap like we do, but they would, they would take two fingers on each hand, and that's how they would clap and, and give the Lord praise. He said he was sharing the gospel with them. He said he couldn't talk above a whisper. He said, but while he was mentioning the name of Jesus, he said they'd be sitting there just tapping their fingers like this, just excited about Jesus. And that, that ripped my heart out. And then I'm thankful that I get to come to church. I get to lift my voice. I get to lift my I get to clap my hands and worship him. I get the privilege of coming to a sunrise service and gathering with brothers. I can tell you there's a lot of people that won't come because it's too early. But I guarantee you, you give that underground church an opportunity to trade places with you this morning. Amen. We couldn't all fit them in this building. Amen. But I'm thankful that he has arisen. I'm thankful that he's alive. Amen. Thankful for the opportunity that I get to worship him this morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn with us to the book of Matthew, chapter number 27. We're going to read a couple of portions of scripture here, and then we're going to read a couple of uh, one chapter over in Matthew chapter number 28. And I'm going to share quickly with you what the Lord has laid on our hearts for this sunrise service. Matthew chapter number 27. We're going to begin to read it with verse number 45. <clears throat> It reads as this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they had heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And the darkest scripture in the entirety of the word of God, verse number 50 says, Jesus, when he had cried aloud, with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. 
And if you'll turn with us to Matthew chapter 28, begin reading in verse number one, in the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. I want to share with you briefly as you're seated this morning, if the Lord will help me, on the tragedy of the cross and the triumph of the resurrection. The tragedy of the cross and the triumph of the resurrection. May God add his blessing to the word this morning. But as we read the Easter story, it has two distinctly different parallels that are interwoven to make the greatest story ever told. One parallel is dark, it's dreadful and dead. The other is life, light and liberty. As we see the, the tragedy of the cross, there are many tragedies that unfold in the story and I, I do not have time to, to, to share them all with you, but just a few tragedies that, that stand out that the Lord impressed on me to share this morning as we, we see and we note tragedies associated with the cross. Number one, the very people that Jesus came to save, rejected him. We know in the, the physical that rejection is one of the hardest tragedies that a human can experience. Jesus came to be Messiah for the very people that crucified him. We read in Matthew 27 verse 1, When the morning came, all the chief priests, all the religious leaders of the day, all the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. We have well noted the physical anguish and the pain of Calvary. It's, it's well documented and observed. But I submit to you this morning that the emotional pain of rejection for the people that he loved so dearly had to be equally as uh, terrible as the physical pain that he endured on the cross of Calvary. As he gathered over Jerusalem, his lament, and he, he cried, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, how I would have gathered you as a hen doth her brood, but you would not. The very people that he came to save rejected him and despised him. The second tragedy, the best of the best, was traded for the worst of the worst. We read in scripture of a figure in Matthew 27, verse 15, that the governor asked the people, he had the ability, he said, I, as Jesus was bound, he said, I have the ability, I can set this man Jesus free or I can exchange him for another criminal that we have here. And uh, the, the Bible called him a notable prisoner called Barabbas. That word notable means one that is distinguished. And in the Greek, it can be distinguished in a very good way or it can be distinguished in a very bad way. One was known for great virtues. Another was known 
for great crimes. And that was what Barabbas was. He was the leader in Luke chapter number 23. It, it speaks of Barabbas and it goes into details that he had made a sedition in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Here was a man that deserved death. He deserved to die for what he had done. He was a murderer under the law of, of Moses, under the, the, the penal code of the day. He deserved to die. He deserved to be crucified, but when he... Uh, the, the governor, when Pilate set him before the people, they said, do you want this man, Barabbas, to be tried and to be crucified or, or do you want Jesus to be released that has done no wrong? The tragedy was we see that the best of the best was traded and esteemed as the worst of the worst. We see the third tragedy that the most sinless of men was handled as the most sinful. We know that Paul writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ never sinned. Never sinned. We, we often talk about how Jesus was born on Christmas and we, we talk about how he died and rose again on Easter, but those other 33 and a half years in which he lived, to me, that's just as powerful as how he was born, birthed and how he died. 33 and a half years, never one time sinned. Never one time uh, did his temper get the best of him. Never one time did he, he, he swear. Never one time did he, he fall into uh, some type of temptation. And, and people may say that's because Jesus was, was God. He wasn't tempted. The same way that you and I are tempted. And I, the, the Bible contradicts that. It says very plainly that he was tempted and tested in all manners. Right. Like as we, but yet without sin. Three words that defines the life of Jesus. Yet without sin. Amen. He was tempted with the same temptations you and I are tempted with. And I, I submit to you, he was tempted much worse than you and I are. Because if the devil knew if he could just get him to commit one sin, that the, 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 that the whole plan of redemption would be foiled. Amen. But he lived his life without sin. He was the, the perfect, spotless son of God. But as we read how Jesus was handled, the most sinless of men was handled as the most sinful. The governors took him to the common hall, gathered him into the band of soldiers. They stripped him. Put on him a scarlet robe. They planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail King of the Jews. They spat upon him, took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, put on his own raiment and led him away to be crucified. These verses right here it's plain to, to say that uh, we know that Jesus did not sin, but in these just few verses of Scripture, what Jesus endured the ridicule and the shame, it was enough to make any man want to sin. Because if, you, if you're being mocked and you're being ridiculed and you're being spat on, you're being slapped in the face, you're being made fun of, I know me. <laughs> I know if somebody were to spit on me, 
I, I can tell you that's a lot for me to stomach and to not react. But Jesus never one time reviled. He never one time rose up in anger. And while he was most sinless, he was treated as the most sinful. All of this is what Barabbas deserved. All of this is what I deserve. And here Christ took the penalty for us. Amen. The tragedy was for the first time in, 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 in entirety of God and the existence of eternity, Jesus was separated from the Father because the sin of the entire world was placed upon him. Amen. At the ninth hour, he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was indeed separated from the Father by the sin of the whole world. Now sin did not enter him to defiling, but he did nail the ordinances that were against us on the cross as sin was placed upon him. Amen. This was the cup that he was talking about when he cried and he said, Lord, he said, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as I will. This was not talking about Calvary because the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. This was not talking about sin because while he took on sin, sin did not get him as he would drink and ingest sin. Sin was placed upon him, but this was the cup of separation from the Father. Never had he ever been separated. Throughout Scripture, he had pointed out that he and the Father are one. But now, he was numbered among the transgressors. Now, he is counted among the unrighteous. We see him on the cross as they nail him there. And the greatest tragedy that the hope of all mankind died and was buried. Jesus, here he is, the Messiah. Here he is, the one that the hope of the world. Here he is, the one that all of eternity hinges upon. And the Bible is very clear in verse number 50 that he cried with a loud voice and he yielded up the ghost. We can read how he was buried. He wasn't even buried with his ancestors. He wasn't buried. You, you read all throughout the Old Testament how that men would be buried in the sepulcher of their father or they would purchase a, a burial ground for themselves that would be for future generations. Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb. One bar, not with buried with dignity, not buried with, with his kinship, not, not buried in, in a place where he would be remembered and he would, would have a, a, a closeness in death with family. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. To this point, the tragedy of the cross has been dreadful. But thank God the story does not end there. Thank God the story is not over. Thank God for the other parallel that's interwoven into this story. Amen. That makes the, the, the story beautiful. Amen. Because yes, we see the, the tragedy of the cross. But thank God for the triumph of the resurrection. Thank God that there was life in this story as equally tragic as his death was. The resurrection is even more important. Amen. As we see that sin could not defile him. 
Satan could not defeat him. And death could not hold him. Hallelujah. Amen. Just as sure as he died, which is fact. Amen. Three days later, he arose again. Many men have died throughout the course of human history. Amen. But there's two that we can find. Amen. That was Lazarus and that was Christ that rose victorious over the grave. And when we know eventually Lazarus died again, but Christ, three days after his burial, rose a victor from the dark domain. Amen. And we find in Acts 1 and 3 that he made himself alive by many infallible proofs. There's people that will say that this story is just conjecture. It's, uh, it's just up to interpretation, but uh, just as infallible as the Word of God is. Uh, amen. He made himself alive by many infallible proofs, uh, which means incapable of error, never failing, and always effective. I can tell you, folks, the resurrection of Christ, uh, amen, is incapable of error. It's never going to uh, never going uh, uh, to fail, uh, and his resurrection is always going to be effective. He died once for all, uh, and he rose victorious once for all. Hallelujah! There's never a need for another sacrificial lamb to die. Amen. And there's never a need for uh, another man to rise up uh, and be resurrected because he fulfilled it all. Uh, I can tell you there are many things uh, in this world that you cannot count on, but you uh, can count on uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ being tried uh, and being true. Hallelujah. For he said in Revelations 1 and 18, I am he that was dead and liveth. Yeah. Hallelujah. Two definite facts in this scripture. Jesus was dead. Now he is alive. Hallelujah. He was dead. Amen. Fact. That happened. He is alive. You can take it to the bank. Amen. It is tried. And it is true. In this verse. Amen. Was and am. They are emphatic. Contrasting his temporal. And his temporary death. With his eternal life. Amen. He will. He is alive. And not only is he alive. But he's going to be alive. Alive forevermore. Amen. As long as time is. And even when time ends. And eternity begins. Our risen Savior is still going to be alive. Amen. Kings rise. And kings fall. But he is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen, the ancient of days. Amen, the first and the last. There is none other but him. He is our risen Savior. Amen. Amen, three things because he lives. Number one, we live. If Christ had not been raised in your faith, my faith is in vain and we are yet in our sins. But because I'm not in sin today, that is proof positive. That Jesus is alive. Because you were not dead in sin and trespasses. That is proof positive. That Jesus is alive. Amen. Because if he wasn't. We would be in sin. We would be the, the rankest as Paul was. The, the chiefest of sinners. And that's what I was. But thank God that's not who I am. Because he got up. Out of the grave. Amen. Because he lived. He has given us the opportunity and the capability to live life through him. 
Amen. Not only because he lives, we live. But because he lives, there is triumphant life for us. As we're talking about the triumph of his resurrection, you and I can live triumphantly in him. For Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, he said, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Thanks be unto God, which always makes us triumph in Christ. We can triumph in Christ because he triumphed over death. We can triumph in Christ because he triumphed over the grave. We can triumph in Christ because he triumphed over sin. Amen. Because of the triumphant resurrection we have. Triumphant life in Christ. And because he lives. There's not only life and triumphant life. But there is everlasting life. You see the fact is. Jesus didn't just get up out of the grave after three days. And that was the end of the story. But we believe and we know that he's just as alive right now today as he was then. He's still alive. Amen. And the Bible tells us this everlasting, this eternal life that he is living. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The same eternal life that Christ has, he has given unto us. But we know that that verse would have no power if he did not triumphantly get out of the grave. Hallelujah. Amen. This verse would have no power if Jesus had not gotten up. Because of the resurrection, I have life. Not only is it life, but it's triumphant life. And this life, he has given unto us is eternal life. Life that only he can give. I'm closing with this this morning as we're dealing with the tragedy of the cross yet the, the triumph of his resurrection. I'd never seen this before. Jot this down because you'll probably hear it again at some point in time. But in Matthew chapter 28, as Mary comes to the tomb, the angel of the Lord said, said, come see the place where Jesus lay. He's no longer here. He's risen from the dead. But they were told something very emphatically in verse number seven. I saw this for the first time late last night. They were told to go quickly and to tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. There were, there were three ways that we find here that they were either told to share the gospel or what they did to share the gospel. Number one, they were to go quickly. As you and I, we have the same mandate that Mary had. And that is to tell the world that Jesus is alive. We have the same mandate. What he has done in us. What the life that he has provided unto us. Life triumphantly, life everlasting. 
He's no respect of a person. What he's done in us, he wants to do. And every individual in this world that would call upon his name. But if they are going to hear, then we must go. And not only must we go, we must go quickly. And to do the work of the Lord. Amen. Jesus, he told Judas, he said, whatever you're going to do, boy, you better go and do it quickly. Do it quickly. Make haste. Mary had that same mandate. Go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. We must go quickly and tell the world that Jesus is alive. Secondly, when she went quickly, she went with fear. She went with reverence. She went with awe. She wanted to do nothing to pollute the message of grace. She wanted to do nothing to pollute the message that Jesus was alive. As she carried the gospel, she handled it carefully. She handled it reverently. She respected the message that, that she was carrying. That's the way we must handle the gospel with great reverence and awe and fear of God. Amen. And lastly, as she went with fear, the Bible said she also went with joy. Joyously telling the world that Jesus is alive. This sums up the mandate of the church. In a nutshell, it can be found in these two verses. As we are to go and make disciples of every creature, we're to do it quickly. We're to do it with fear, but we're also to do it with great joy. Amen. To share the greatest story ever told, the tragedy of the cross, but the triumph of his resurrection. The darkness and the dread of, of the, the anguish of the cross, but the light, the life, and the liberty of his resurrection because he lives. Amen. I can live. Because he lives, you can live. Amen. And this life is abundant and everlasting. Amen. Could we stand all over the building this morning? Amen. Could we lift our hands toward heaven? Amen. And could we just take a moment in time to worship him? Amen. Worship him. That he endured the tragedy of the cross. He endured the despise, the rejection, the shame, the pain, the agony. Amen. He, he endured it all. Amen. Rose victorious three days later, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Let's love him. Let's thank him.